0: Hi, my name is Maddie. The Old Testament reading is found in Numbers twenty-seven verses eighteen through twenty-one. So the Lord said to Moses, "Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey, and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest." who shall inquire for him by the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation." The
1: word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Margaret. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 12, through 7. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were often misled by false gods that can't even speak. So I want to make it clear to you that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different spiritual gifts but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries and the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. The word of the Lord. My name is Wayne. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke 11, verse 11 to 13. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Lord Remain standing as we pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we hear it this morning, that uh, it would take root inside of our hearts, and it would grow up to bear fruit, and uh, the results would be that we are being changed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in week four of our series on the Holy Spirit, and we've called it The Holy Who... Um, because of uh, uh, sort of an acknowledgement that this is kind of a tricky subject for some people and or for all of us in some ways, maybe if we say it that way, that for some of us it's a tricky subject because we've, we've been very familiar with the work of the Holy Spirit, but only in one particular uh, angle or aspect of it. And, and there may be another dimension of it that is new to you or foreign to you. And for others of you, you might say, well, I, I've heard about this, and I know we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I don't quite know um, anything more than that. So in week one we use this phrase that the early Christians um, solidified at, at, at one of the councils in the early 300s that when they, they spoke about the Holy Spirit they, they said He is the Lord, the giver of life. And so in week one of the series we use that to talk about the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that this is a God living within us, God dwelling in us, God at work in and through us. And we said very clearly in week one that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. This is not the kind of thing where some have it, some don't, and what's what's the proof that you have it? No, listen, we heard this passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, look, you wouldn't even be able to make the confession that Jesus is Lord if you didn't have the Holy Spirit living in you. So every Christian has received the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again, to be regenerated, to be made new. And yet, that is not the end of it all. That's the beginning of it of the journey. And so we talked about what it means to, to live with a fellowship of the Holy Spirit, with the person of the Holy Spirit, to embrace the renewing presence and power of, of, of the Spirit in our lives. And then in week two, we talked about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So if you're kind of looking at a chronology, we, we, we started with this doctrinal statement, if you will, from the early Christians, and then we went back to what Jesus said before his um, uh, re- death and resurrection and ascension and then we went last week to look at what jesus said right before he ascended to the throne and he said look the holy spirit's going to be the power for you to live and speak as witnesses of my kingdom and so we talked about what it means last week um, to to be these witnesses of an, an arriving kingdom that is different From what we see in the world today. Now, here we are. We're going to talk about the Spirit's gifts. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men or to mankind and so the ascension Paul's saying here is not just about the the general giving of the Holy Spirit but also the specific and particular giving of gifts of specific gifts now, this word gift, Paul is playing on this because the same word for grace that's translated grace is the same word, uh, uh, connected word, that's, that's translated as gift. It's this idea of charis, the gift of God. And so you might say that the grace of God, the gift of God, capital G, and then there are these other gifts that are connected, that that. Um, demonstrate and manifest that gift. And so Paul says, the gift that was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, when he ascended, he gave gifts to mankind. Now, one of the particular things about our household is we have two kids who have their birthdays right around Christmas time, right before it, relatively speaking. Right? So one kid has a birthday in the middle of November, and the other has a birthday at the beginning of December, And, and it's hard for our youngest, whose birthday is in June, to really comprehend why everybody else is getting their Christmas presents early. You know Like, no, 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 it's not their Christmas presents, it's their birthday presents. Well then are they also going to get Christmas presents? Well, yes, because that's Christmas, you know. Well, when's my birthday? It's in June. Was that tomorrow? No, no, that's like six months from now. So two days from now. No, the whole concept of time is squirrely, right? And so then this is compounded when Christmas morning arrives because the kids who've had their birthdays and gotten all these gifts now get more gifts. And so we have one kid who's like very fairness oriented you know they have kids have this acute sense of injustice and i said acute not that it is cute but that they are keenly aware of injustices in the world and so they're like, well, this doesn't make sense i have to wait six more months to get a second round of presents but they got this you know star wars lego at their birthday and then another star wars lego at christmas or whatever the case may be right and so we're having to deal with justice issues in gift giving. And as parents, you kind of debate this. You know, we have four kids, so you think, do I go like full socialist here and give everyone the same gift, same color, same, you know, so nobody complains? Or do we go like free market, like, oh, well, you know, your gift is this and then yours might be more? Do we introduce them to the complexities of the real world via gift giving, you know? And then we have another child who is becoming very aware of how much things cost. And so she said, well, how much did you spend on that gift, you know? (laughs) And we're like, well, it's all the same, really. Uh, And so all of a sudden, the joy of gift giving becomes now an occasion for comparison and jealousy and divisions. And all of a sudden, there's injustice in the world. and And there should have been just joy in the world because of these gifts and that is a little bit like what happens to the church here's jesus ascending to the throne giving gifts to the church and you think this is the greatest thing ever jesus is on the throne and the church has the spirit and the gifts of the spirit everything should be amazing right no now we're all fighting with one another well what gifts did you get well how come you got the i don't understand why are you more spiritual than me And so when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts, he's having to deal with all kinds of maturity issues in them. In fact, he's pretty strong. He says to them at one point in the letter, he says, look, you think you're spiritual, but you're like infants. You childish Corinthians, you don't get it. And part of the problem for the Corinthians, you, those of you who were uh, have been coming for a while now, you remember the series that we did a couple years ago called Church in the City on this letter, First Corinthians. But you might recall that Corinth was a city where there were a few notable pagan temples. And in these pagan temples, their way of worshiping involved a kind of ecstatic experience with demonic spirits. And they didn't realize it was demonic, but, but their understanding of the spiritual experience was a high or kind of an ecstatic sort of moment, and then that was how they proved that they were more spiritual. So they're like, well, you know, I, I had this experience, what have you had? And I've had six of these experiences. How many have you had? And their whole notion of spirituality was twisted. And so when Paul's writing to them, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were often misled by false gods that can't even speak. He's talking about their temple worship in pagan temples where they, were, they, they would be, interact with these false gods and demonic spirits. And he says, so I want to make it clear that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul's trying to say, this is a different kind of spirit. And the, and the result of it is a different kind of purpose, a different framework for thinking about spirituality. Spirituality. In the other thing, you don't even know what you're saying. You're saying foolishness. But in this situation, you're going to say things that reinforce the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say. And then he says there are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God. Now, if you're catching this cadence, this is a Trinitarian cadence. The same Spirit, the same Lord, i.e. Jesus, the same God, i.e. the Father. Paul's trying to say, you can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit without understanding the whole framework of the triune God. This doesn't work within a pagan framework. This doesn't work within a selfishness framework. This doesn't work in any other. This belongs in the confessional faith of, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says... Uh, uh, Sorry, that is what he says, right. And then then I want us to unpack this morning a little bit about uh, what the, the spiritual gifts are, why they've been given, how we are to operate in them, and then how we receive them. I want us to kind of work through these four questions this morning. So this first one here, what actually are spiritual gifts let's take Paul's argument here not only in his letter to the Corinthians but in some of his other letters as well in Romans 12 verse 6 Paul says we have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us see I love this because again that word grace charis and this word for gift they're all sort of connected ideas it's Paul's way of saying there's the gift the grace of God in Christ Jesus and all of these other gifts are meant to be tributaries of that stream. There are ways of of showing it's consistent with God's grace. So one of the ways we can define, uh, give ourselves a working definition for the gifts of the Spirit is this, is to say, The Spirit's gifts are signs of the grace of God at work through us for the sake of others. Signs of the grace of God at work through us For the sake of others. Now we're going to unpack this definition as we work through our questions about why the gifts matter. And how we're supposed to use them and how we can receive them. But right here is our foundational statement. They are signs of the grace of God at work through us for the sake of others. And I want to say, as we begin to look at this next week, we'll look at a few of these other gifts specifically. I think when we understand it this way, we don't kind of get territorial with this. And say, well, these are my gifts and what are your gifts? Uh, That we sort of have more of an open view of saying, well, if it's the same spirit, then can't the grace of God show up in my life sometimes this way, sometimes that way, sometimes in all kinds of different ways. It might even be worth distinguishing the the... Uh, the gift that shows up in a demonstration of the grace of God as being different from the office of a particular position. The office of a prophet is slightly different, perhaps, than the gift of prophecy that shows up in different believers at different moments. And so Paul's saying, Look, these are signs of the grace of God at work through us for the sake of others. So, why? Why are the Spirit's gifts given? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That's the first thing we want to say, is it's for the good of the church. Gifts are given not to end with you, but actually for the good of the church. And if you keep following Paul's arguments through this letter to the Corinthians, you would also add that it's for the glory of God. For the good of the church and for the glory of God. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about gift giving in the ancient world. You've heard me say this from from time to time, but in our Western kind of society, the ideal gift is a gift that comes with no strings attached. You've heard this, right? You may not know this, but you believe this. Because a German philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant sort of secularized this idea of gift giving. And Kant got that idea because Luther, Martin Luther understood the gospel to be that way. That God gives a gift without requiring anything back. But actually if you look into the context of Paul's world and gift giving in the ancient world. It's very much like how gift giving is today in the east or in the global south. Growing up, if a neighbor brought over a plate of food, you never returned the plate empty. You you just couldn't do it. Someone brought you a bowl and said, I made some curry, have some curry. Now you're thinking, oh no, what shall I make to fill the dish when I return it? Because there is a kind of reciprocity. Now in in the West, we think, well, yeah, that's so obligation. I don't want to be under that burden, you know. But in in the ancient world, there's this sense of reciprocity that says actually gift giving is a way of reinforcing our relationship. So I give you a gift, and sure, I would sort of wonder what was wrong if you didn't return the gift in some way. Even if you did return the gift with a thank you card or with another sort of gift, there's a way of kind of saying, keep the circle going. And if someone stopped, you'd say, what's wrong in the relationship? Did something go wrong? And so when we think about God giving gifts, I know right away you're like, oh no, what am I supposed to give back to God, right? Paul actually says this, what can we give to God for all that He has given to us? Well, throughout Paul's different letters, he basically answers the question in two ways. One, we're to return these gifts in praise to God. Every good gift, that's why we sing the doxology every Sunday, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Why? He's given us these blessings, we return them as praise and thanksgiving to him right but secondly one of the ways we complete the circle of reciprocity is we take these gifts that God's given us and we turn them outward in the service of others we turn them outward for the good of others so this is this is you see this a lot in the old testament actually one of the 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 Jewish ideas for what do we do with this belief that that Yahweh is the creator and the source of all that is good and the source of, a, of the blessing of a harvest or the blessing of prosperity. What are we supposed to do with it? Well, you, you see, early on, there's this teaching that says, look, if you do have such a great harvest that you can't possibly gather all of it, leave the edges of your field unpicked. Leave the margins in the fields. Why? Because there might be immigrants and refugees that need something to eat. That has no relevance today. I'm just bringing that up to say that one of the ways we steward the surplus of God's gifts is to find a way to let it benefit someone else. And so that's why there's a proverb in in the Old Testament that says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You're like, well, that seems kind of weird. Why would we say that? Because by giving to the poor, you're completing the circle of reciprocity. You're returning God's gifts back to him. You return God's gifts not only upward in praise, but outward in service. You return God's gifts not only upward in praise, but outward in service. So, why are the gifts given? For the glory of God and for the good of the church. This is how Paul, this is the framework that Paul is working with. I was thinking about how I love when uh, the UPS guy comes to our house. And you see, we have Amazon Prime, so it's very dangerous because the UPS guy comes fairly often. There's nothing like having an idea for something you're like, "Oh, I want that." Two days later, there it is. You know, very dangerous, very dangerous. And especially if you get into the habit of doing the whole subscribe and save thing, you know, then all which is great, I, or at least we think it is. But you know, we're, we're getting like laundry detergent in bulk. But it also now has made the UPS uh, arrival kind of mixed feelings because now we see a package like, "Oh my gosh, what is it?" Oh, it's soap. You know, <laughs> I forgot, I, yeah, it's, the order's being fulfilled. But what if, what if when the UPS guy came, he uh, rang the doorbell and he stood at the door and I, I opened the door and he gave me this box and I was like, thanks. And he's like, I'm like what are you waiting for? Go in and open it. And like, why do you want to see me open it? He says, well, I just I can't wait for you to thank me for this. So why would I thank you for this? Well, I brought it to you. Like, but you're not the source of the gift. You're just the deliverer of the gift. You catch where I'm going with this, right? We don't do... uh, Why is it, though, when we see the gifts of God at work through men and women in the church, we're like... And and then then people have grown to expect it. They're like, excuse me, where was my Twitter mentions today from the sermon? How many favorites did I get? How many likes did I get from this? I mean, I just is there any glory that's coming my way, you know, from this? Instead of saying, you know what, I'm the UPS guy. I'm not the source of these gifts. I just got to be the deliverer of them. Now, there's another mistake the UPS guy could make, and that is to go to the warehouse e- each morning and load up his truck with these gifts and say, Whoa, <laughs> look at these gifts, and then go right home. Say, honey, you won't believe it. Look at these packages. Some of them are big. Like, oh, wow. So wait a second. Those were not for you. What do you mean they're not for me? I picked them up from the warehouse. Like, right, they were meant to be delivered. The gifts are not from us, and the gifts are not for us. The gifts are from the Spirit, and the gifts are for others for the church and so one of the great tragedies from the corinthians up until now is that we want these gifts of the spirit for ourselves because i I, I, i'm up to six spiritual gifts now how about you instead of saying "No, no look the gifts of the spirit are given to each person for the common good i love this the demonstration of the spirit is given for the common good Sometimes we want the demonstration of the Spirit so I can get another round of goosebumps. I'm not a skeptic about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But I do want us to be sure that we are testing to see if it actually is for the common good. Because if it's not, if it's just another, then it's just another sort of circus thing that we've confused as Revival. It's just another feel-good moment that we've sort of confused with a move of God. If it's a move of God, it'll be be for the good of all the people who are there. Otherwise, don't tell me it's revival because you just felt so excited. Paul says the demonstration of the Spirit is for the common good. Let it show up in how it blesses others. Let it show up in how it builds up the church. So, how do we actually do this? How do we actually use these gifts? I want to say three things. First of all, I want to say that we use the gifts within the bounds of who God made us to be. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, this is Paul being fairly blunt. I wish all people were like me. (laughs) Like, well, Paul, I wish I were like you too. Okay, just get that over with. But each, Paul says, but each has a particular gift from God. One has this gift and another has that one. Paul's like, it's going to be different. Now, this is particularly my opinion the rest is moderately my opinion but this is particularly my opinion I kind of think that the gifts of the spirit are not totally separate separate categories from the strengths and talents and gifts that you're given and that you discover in your own life I know sometimes people want to make a real hard lines Well, those, those are no, no, those are those are your strengths finders you know or, that's your Myers-Briggs where's the spirit and I kind of have the opinion that, that because of the incarnation, because the Spirit inhabits flesh, that actually these two things kind of go together. I love the Myers-Briggs stuff. I love the strength. I'm looking at uh, Amber Ayers who does this coaching for, for a living. You know, I love all of those assessment tools because I think they're one of the, one of the ways we begin to understand how the Spirit is working through us. And that sometimes there may not be a line between your natural operating in your natural strength and where the spirit is all of a sudden breathing out. Sometimes it is real obvious, and you're like, "Whoa! I, that, I didn't know that." But that something just sort of was, was working through me. I've, I've had those moments. But I was really encouraged by uh, talking with a, a friend last year who has spent a lot of years coaching uh, leaders and pastors and. And he uses a lot of different assessment tools and a lot of ways of, of gauging this. And, and, uh, and someone said to him last year, I, I think you kind of have like a, a gift of discernment or a gift of like the word of knowledge. Or, and he's like, really? He's like, I thought it was just sort of, it's not really prophetic. It's just sort of common sense. I'm just, you know, looking at this, all this, and making sense of people's lives and calling. Like, no, but, but that kind of is how the gifts can show up. And one of the reasons I think it's important for us to know that the Spirit's gifts work within the bounds of who God has made us to be is we don't have to get weird about this. We don't have to think that, oh, well, I, I don't know about those spiritual gifts because I'm not ready to be all dramatic about it, you know. Some of you are, but you are about everything, <laughs> you know. It's like, great, that's awesome. <laughs> I knew a guy who's like, you know, everything was theatrical, and so he would be in the middle of a sermon, and all of a sudden you'd be, hang on, what's that, Lord? Yes, Lord. I'll tell him, Lord, okay. You was know? like, I, you know, I mean, couldn't you just have worked that in as your third point or something, you know, like, why'd you have to do that? So <laughs> I think this is for everyone. The gifts of the Spirit are for everyone they for doctors and lawyers and mothers and fathers and friends and neighbors and students and on and on it goes. And it shows up in all kinds of different ways. The second thing about how we are to use these gifts is really the most important one. It is with love. With love. Sometimes we teach First Corinthians 12 and then we skip right over to First Corinthians 14 to pick up more about prophecy and tongues and we just skip that one chapter in between there, chapter 13, because as if, you know, Paul was writing this and he goes, oh, you know what, I really ought to pause this conversation about the gifts and give them something to read at weddings. <laughs> you know, like 1 Corinthians 13, it's not just a chapter to be read at weddings. In fact, he's not even talking about marriage. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to marriage, of course it does, but it's love, it applies to everything, Right? What Paul's doing is he's speaking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he's like, oh, these Corinthians, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Guys, can we get one thing straight? These gifts, the very engine of these gifts is the Christ-like love that you have for one another. So the end of chapter 12, he says, all don't have the gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts. I love this because Paul isn't scolding us for being ambitious. He's just saying, don't have the kind of selfish ambition. Have this kind of ambition. Why? And I'm going to show you an even better way, he says. Because if I speak with the tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Nothing. Paul's like, adventures and missing the point guys it's not all about the gifts it's first and foremost about love because hey brother marvin because when you have love then you can eagerly desire these gifts as a way to express your love for one another okay so that leads to this third thing how do we use the gifts in the service of one another in the service of one another. First Peter 4.10 And serve each other according to the gift each person has received as good managers of God's diverse gifts. I love this. Some of you are in the financial planning industry. You'll appreciate this. God's diverse gifts. God has a diversified portfolio that He's entrusted you to be the fund manager of. Don't mess this up. <laughs> okay. It's like, look, God's like, I got all kinds of gifts. What do you want? Prophecy? Where, where's the, let's, let's invest this all in, in, in whom, Lord? In the church. Okay, great. So we're managers of these diverse, this diverse portfolio. Okay, so what should we do? Let's not do anything. Right? Jesus told a story like this, right? About the guy who was like, oh, that's just buried. I don't know. That's kind of risky. Let's not do anything. Peter says, no, you know, what you, you know what it means to be a good manager of God's diverse gifts that He has entrusted you with? Use them in service of one another. Serve one another. One of the great lies of the enemy to you and to me is to say, you've got to wait until that gift has fully developed before you can sign up to serve. In fact, the opposite is true. As you serve, the gifts begin to flourish in you. As you step out and, why? Why? Because love is the engine of the spiritual gifts. So love makes you say, wait a minute, there's a need over here. Wait a minute. There's someone who was, who wasn't really talking to anyone. I don't know if you were talking to anyone or not during the Greek time, but there's, oh, oh, wait a minute. I see this need out here. Love gives you the eyes to see needs all throughout the community. And then you say, okay, well, uh, it's the same spirit who was working through Paul and Peter and James and John. It's the same spirit. So, I'm going to step out and serve. Spirit would just show up in me as I serve. And then all of a sudden it begins, you're like, whoa, where'd that come? I didn't even know I had that in me. And God's like, right, but I did. Because I put it there. I put it there. And so as you serve, all of a sudden the gifts begin to rise up, the gifts begin to flourish, the gifts begin to develop. Now, here's the other thing, okay? I don't think that a particular gift is tied to a particular job or task. If you've met teachers or you think of different occupations, you know there's many ways of of inhabiting that occupation, if you will. There's many ways of being in that role. And so I think a lot of times these different gifts will show up in the way that you are a stay-at-home parent or in the way that you are a banker or in the way that you are a student it just shows up in different ways which means we ought not to sit back and say well I don't know what I should do I'm just kind of waiting waiting for kind of the perfect scenario that really matches up with my gifts now I'm not picking on any particular generation <laughs> because I think, I think all of us can be guilty of this. All of us can be guilty of this, of saying, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for the right thing to come, come along and then I'm really going to poop my gifts. Wait, just you wait. You know. And I think the way it works in the kingdom is the opposite. Is we say, Lord, I am not quite sure which bucket you're going to pour my life out in, but I'm pretty sure it could fit in a lot of different places. So this teaching gift may not involve a microphone it might involve it might look like something else it might look like children's ministry this gift of exhortation it might look like serving on the prep team because as i'm walking along each other i'm meeting new people that all of a sudden i've become an encouragement to them and they've become an encouragement to me why because the prep team is for the gift of encouragement no it's because you bring that gift wherever you serve it's because you carry that in you wherever you go So Evan mentioned earlier today that there's this booklet that mentions our teams that that serve on Sundays. There's many ways to serve here at New Life Downtown. There's the informal, organic ways. And i I got to say, I am so proud of who you are as a church. I love the way that you consistently, quietly love people even without other people knowing it. The way that you reach out to friends and neighbors and and people in need and sign up for an hour a week to mentor a kid at, at, at Queen Palmer Elementary and give up a week in your summer to do the Royal Family Kids Camp thing or join an orphan care network and you do all kinds of things that nobody's keeping track of and the Lord knows. And I think all of those things are wonderful because part of the way we see our role as people who are in the office of pastor or teacher or whatever here at the church, our role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So ideally, it kind of gets to the place where we don't even know about it, but you're doing it already because you've grown up to the place of maturity. that You're like, well, I'm taking care of it. Saw a need operating in the spirit. Here we go. Let's do it. Right? But there are also places where, there's, where we have intentionally crafted tracks for you. We've got partnerships with certain ministries in the city. We have meal groups that always need new people to step up and to lead. And we have teams that pull off Sundays every week. Now, some of you might think, well, you guys got it covered, right? I mean, that's, that's fine, right? And the answer is yes and no. Yeah, kind of it's covered, but there's always room for more. Because that's, again, the economy of the kingdom. If there's not always room for more, then we should just stop, right? But there's always room for, as the Lord adds new families to the church, guess what? The 9 a.m. had a record non-Easter number of kids in the kids' ministry at 9 a.m. It means they're going to need more people to serve in children's ministry. Uh, we're going to need more people to serve on a welcome team. We're going to need more people to help with ushering. We're going to need more people to, to help set up parking lot signs. Why? Because those are spiritual? no. Because that's how you serve and let the gifts come alive in you as you serve. That's how you serve and then all of a sudden the gifts begin to develop in you as you serve. I mean, you understand, it's as ludicrous as like someone saying, I've got a plan this year to get ripped, in, you know, physically, <clears throat> which was not my resolution. And, and then say, well, what are you going to do? So, well, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, what are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting to get ripped and then I'll go to the gym because I don't want to be embarrassed and go to the gym when I'm flabby. Can I get an Amen? <laughs> so well, no it doesn't work that way. You've gotta you gotta first go to the gym when you're flabby. Then you become not so flabby, then you become moderately flabby, and then, and then you get you know kinda of, is that a two pack, maybe, you know. And then all of a sudden it came right. So this is similar to that. You don't just sit around and say, Well, I'm just waiting for the gifts to grow in me. No, I'm gonna start serving. And is it gonna be clumsy and messy? You bet. Might it be embarrassing? Sure. The first time you say, can I offer a word of encouragement? just had this impression from the Lord when we shook hands with each other in the greeting time. And you're like, wow, that was really awkward. <laughs> but I, I'm just going to try. And there are many of you, I, I keep hearing this from people who are in the stage of life where your kids are grown. And you have a little more time on your hands. And you're like, I, I just don't know if I have anything to give. Can I say to you, you have something to give because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And don't let the enemy lie to you or bring shame upon you and say, well, look at this mistake or look at this part of your life or look at this part of it. You don't have any reason to do this or that. To say, you know what? Paul said, we're all fragile jars of clay that the excellence may be of the treasure that is in us. The gifts are from him, not from us. So whatever season of life you're in, whatever you have to bring, Let the Lord kind of use it. So how do we do this? How do we actually receive the Spirit's gifts? Well, maybe the simplest thing is what Paul says in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14. Earnestly desire them. Earnestly desire them. 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and then from that love earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's how you'll know you're not doing this out of selfish ambition. You're doing this Out of love. But secondly, by allowing others to pray for us. This is something that is is kind of becoming a bit of a lost art in the church. The art of saying, would you just lay hands on me and impart something of the Spirit to me? It sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But there's something deeply personal about someone else. saying, Can I just pray for you and see if the Holy Spirit would release some of His gifts at work in your life? Maybe different ones, different times. Look at how Paul says it. Romans 1. I really want to see you to pass along some spiritual gift to you so that you can be strengthened. And what I mean is that we can mutually encourage each other while I'm with you. We can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, both your faithfulness and mine. This is why gathering physically in a church matters. I know it's like cute to say, we don't go to church, we are the church. Right, right, right. False dichotomy. We're both. We do both things. Paul says, look, I, I, it's great that I'm writing you this letter, but I can't wait to see you because when I see you, I can impart to you some gift. The reason we come to church is so that all of a sudden we can see one another and, 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 and really be present to one another and say, Jake, thank you for what you're doing. Man, I just want, can I just pray for you that the Lord's work in your life would continue? And Jake's like, wow, that's something I couldn't have received on a podcast. That's something you can't catch on a live stream. That's something you don't get by just popping in your headphones and heading on the trail and having church. Paul says you've got to gather because we can lay hands on one another. We can encourage one another and somehow something is being imparted to us. Paul says this to Timothy, don't neglect, neglect, neglect the spiritual gift in you that was given through prophecy when the elders laid hands on you. And then later he says, because of this I'm reminding you to revive God's gift that is in you through the laying on of hands. So two things. This morning after service, we'll have our prayer ministry team ready to pray and to say, how can we encourage the work of the Spirit in your life? How can we stir up the gifts of the Spirit in your life? We'll, we'll do that this morning. But also this Wednesday night, you know, we started last month this thing called First Wednesday up at New Life North where all of the, all of the different congregations from New Life can gather for extended time of prayer and worship specifically so it can kind of become a laboratory so that you can find prayer circles and pray with one another so you can say, Lord, do you want to give me a word for this person that I'm praying for today? And then you can stumble awkwardly through that, you know, and it'd be okay. It's all right. So let the hunger that is in you for these things lead you to a kind of community and a kind of environment We're in your meal groups, in your homes, at First Wednesday, at all of these different places we can say, all right, Lord, how can I earnestly desire these gifts because I'm pursuing love and I want my love for others to lead me to see the needs, trust you to be the source, and then allow you to build up your church. Would you bow your heads this morning?